Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I know we talk about movies and TV solely on this podcast, but I don't think we could start this week's episode without acknowledging the uh, the tragic passing of... NBA legend, I mean, he's kind of like a, a, a an icon at this point for many people. Uh, Kobe Bryant, for, 41 years old, uh, news that rocked the timeline over the weekend. Yeah. I f- it, it's one of those things where, like, there, there are people who pass in sports that most, like, sports fans will get into. But I think, for like, for me... Jordan's probably on that level, but for and I know a lot of people that are listening to this, a lot of people that are you know following us on social, like Kobe's career is their lifespan. Yeah, you know? what and and he he transcended just being a lit as fuck, you know, multi-time champion. Like he's an Oscar winner. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, not even that. I think you know everyone knows I don't basketball sports. Is the one sport I tangentially pay attention to, and even that's not much. But Word. you can't be like a '90s baby like me and not know Kobe like inside and out. Facts. He's that guy. He's that guy. So yeah, I mean, it's again. I shouts out the load management. I can only imagine what they'll be talking about. There's already some great stuff on the site regarding Kobe. Great obit. Uh, Jeff White. Jeff White. Fuck up. Shouts out to him. And I'm gonna assume that you know over the coming weeks and months the conversation about Kobe's going to keep happening. You know, we not only, I mean, obviously I'm, they're probably going to say something at the Super Bowl, but Oscars are coming. There's probably going to be something there. ESPYs. ESPYs. You know, All-Star Weekend is coming up in February as well. Like, I think there's... Damn, I didn't think about All-Star there, Weekend. There there are... No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, he's such a an iconic person that I think he touches a lot of different places. And hell, again, playoffs are later, you know, going to be coming up later this year. Like, they're... We're not going to be running out of times to be remembering Kobe. The timing of his uh, passing with all the LeBron stuff. Yeah. I start every show talking about the nonsense on the timeline. Like this weekend with the way people were feeding into the misinformation. I Oh, man. I hate having to look at Rick Fox's Twitter account and seeing people saying, R.I.P. Rick. It, like, who wants to wake up for that? But by that same token, it was one of the... And, you know, we were all in Slack and yes. dropping links and updating each other as we picked up on it. But um, it was definitely one of those cases where we did hope there was some just false or negligent reporting going a, on. A 100%. So. I mean, especially these days, if it's... Co- TMZ is very consistent. Right. Especially when it comes from Los Angeles. But nobody wants to say from TMZ. You know what I'm saying? It wants You want to hear... A more credible outlet giving you this type of news. I don't think there's been a moment like this since Prince. Prince was probably the last big one. Was about four years ago? That would have been, yeah, about four years ago. I remember Michael Jackson was a big one as well. And again, 
TMZ was where I heard about those spot those those deaths first. So it's it's sad. Um, again, the, the 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 conversation around Kobe is not going anywhere. But I don't think we we as the pop culture podcast. I don't think we could do this episode without saying rest in peace to obviously Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna Bryant, John Kerry and Alyssa Altabelli, Christina Mauser, Era Zobayan. And Sarah and Peyton Chester, our condolences to you, your families. Damn, rest in peace. Welcome back to Watch Less, Complex's podcast about TV and movie life, all that good stuff. But without worrying about that nonsense on your timeline, and I know there's a lot of it, we're focusing on what's real. As always, it's Cal, Deputy Editor of Complex's Pop Culture Channel. The homie Fraser Tharp. Yes, sir. Always on the right. Um, it's Wait, well, quick, quick note because you said nonsense and it made me think. Uh-huh. Um, when we are paying attention to movie and TV stuff, January can be one of the most challenging months. It's rough. And last week you begged me something I've never seen you do. <laughs> I've never seen you leave a movie oh my so God. bothered. Do I have to do Because you know I like... Quick 30 seconds. Quick, we'll only spend 30 seconds on this. But you know my taste. You know uh-huh. I love a trashy horror movie. Yes. I was actually going to go. I skipped the screening, so I was going to go pay for it. Well, my family always gives me free movie tickets for Christmas. Like, Shouts I don't out think the they fan. realize I don't really Word. need them. But I, instead, I use them to like see shit that I don't want to pay for. Like. 100%. So I was going to definitely splurge a, a fucking regal pass on The Turning. Trash. And you said, "I implore you, do not go." It's <laughs> not. It's, I mean, it. It is. We're, we're at the end of January, but it's already the worst film I've seen this year. I'm so sorry. It's they like you would think. All right. Um, I believe you. I don't need to know. But I'm saying Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, Mackenzie Davis, you know, San Junipero, um, Brooklyn Prince from uh, the Florida Project in a horror film. Yeah, it's January, so it's probably going to be kind of whack but i wasn't expecting like this level of what the fuck is the point there's no ending there's if if there were if they did this film with the antenna like yo the turning two coming out you know 2020 or 2021 yeah bet let's do it but you gotta let me know why the fuck she's going crazy and why there's ghosts and it made crazy it it fell off such a, it, and it wasn't on a high cliff, but it <laughs> fell off such a cliff at the end. I was dis, I didn't want to watch movies. This might not have been a podcast anymore if I had to keep. I've never seen you so mad. It was so <laughs> frustrating. Cause you know, cause you know how you're at the screening, like, and it's like, all right, yo, the movie's over and Jokers are like standing up because the credits are coming. And you're thinking, all right, there really wasn't an ending. Maybe something's going to happen. But nah, it's just like these weird fucking dancing shapes underwater. And there's just nothing. And I thought it was just me. I thought it was just me. But then it made like four cents at the box office. Well, it's as got, it deserved. It's it's in the low teens on Rotten Tomatoes. That's crazy. Um, Terrible. So I wasn't with you. I bailed on you with that to go see The Gentleman for a second time, which you should definitely go see. 100%. Guy Ritchie back in his bag. One of the better films of 2020. My son Jeremy Strong going ham. Jeremy Strong coming on the pod. The big facts. But you know what never slacks? Television. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, well. Unfortunately because we need sleep. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, gotta love TV for always being consistent at least. You know what it is? There's, but there's, it's, it's a solid start to the year, I'd say. You know, HBO is obviously coming out swinging. They they might have had the first 
show that people cared about with The Outsider? Well, because there's no, um, there's never been that stigma for TV the way there is for film. Facts. Especially once people start stop doing the September to May. Yeah, that, well, that was the only thing. It was we're 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 on a set schedule, and then there's going to be reruns in the summer. There's so yeah. much TV now. It's just shit just drops yeah, you're when right. it drops. Summer used to be maybe the dead zone, but January never. But uh, we Facts. got HBO already swinging with The Outsider, which some of our uh, coworkers are higher on than us. I got to get. I I fell asleep during episode two, but I hear it's good. It's cool. It's well acted. It's not blowing my mind yet. Cynthia Revo's to open it. I mean, she's feature great. E, feature E got winner. Yeah, yeah, soon. Uh, paired with Curb Your Enthusiasm. Cur- Curb, great which premiere. Came back guns blazing. What was the name of that first episode? Happy New Happy Year. Happy New Year. That was a great episode. This week's episode, it's a little it was less. A downshift. I think the latter seasons of the show, and we'll get to this later because mm-hmm. we're not going to let Curb go off the air without a full Curb episode. One hundred percent. Um, I think the la- the latter seasons are more plot. Yes, when, yes. And the others were so much looser. So now you get to a mode where it's like they can come back with a strong premiere, but then episode two has to set up the story to come. Yeah. So it's less fun. It's just, they just better not pull a season nine with yeah. this one because I was I was kind of disappointed with that last season. Yeah, but I mean, Larry's like Jay Z at that point where it's like you know. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, like, in, a bad it, curb season is still a ex- great curb season. Like, there's still highlights that I remember that no yeah. one else could fuck with. And it's st- and it's still better than a lot of the other shit that's on TV right now. So, yes. It, episode to episode, like, just the way stories come in and out and shit gets dropped, it all makes sense. But that premiere was a fully loaded clip. Loved it. But I mean, HBO is you know par for the course at this point for Facts. delivering Fire TV. Um, my favorite thing is always pointing out shows that people would overlook. Yeah, especially ones that aren't on streaming because I feel like they're what people pay attention to maybe NBC, mm-hmm. HBO, FX, maybe Showtime. Maybe it depends. Like what other broadcast channels are people really fucking with? It's that's kind of it. If it's not if it's not stars if it's not power, people aren't really rocking with stars exactly. the way they, they probably should be. So yeah, Dare Me on USA. Interesting one. Um, if you're watching Cheer on Netflix, which I'm not because I don't really give a shit about reality TV or documentaries (laughs) and shit like that. Says the guy who was on the after show for Rhythm and Flow. Shouts out Netflix. Shouts out Charday. To give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) But that was dope because otherwise maybe I wouldn't have watched it and I was glad I did. 100%. I'm not saying Cheer's not dope. I'm just saying of all the million things we have to watch, I'm never going to go to that first. 100%. But if you like Cheer, a great companion to it on the fiction side is Dare Me, which is a it's kind of got euphoria shades. I when when I saw the trailer, it was like those weird like purples and blues, and it was really dark. And they had the eye makeup, so I was like, "Oh yeah, this is Euphoria Light." But the show is not Euphoria Light at all. It is definitely more. Uh, it's more. It kind of reminds me of Waves a little bit. It is on a Waves vibe. It is. It is big on the teen emotional, uh, real like gripping drama shit. Yeah. I and there's definitely like a murder. There's, there's something I'm is all, going on. Anytime I see teens in a, a murder mystery, I'm in. It's th- this week's episode. I'm, I'm not going to jump out the window and say it was the best episode of TV this year because I don't think it. Well, it was, it was very well structured. The way they, they produced that episode, the camera angles, you know, the way you're seeing the story from three different ways, fire. But I kind of wish 
for I'm assuming I believe it's a ten episode series. Yeah. I kinda wish it was like an eight or a six so we could get to whatever the fuck we're supposed to be getting to. It feels mm. like it's a little more drawn out than I want it to be. We'll see. That's another one we'll revisit. I think I actually have the rest of the season. I have no screeners for that. I checked this morning and I'm Damn. kind of upset. So I got to hit someone up. I'll give you my password. I, that would be amazing. That and would... then what else are we here to talk about other than Aquafina? <sighs> She's starting the year off crazy. She, I mean, yeah. I mean, a, a globe win. A historic globe win. Is a major way to start a year. And then to have your own series on Comedy Central. You know you have clout when your name, both of your stage name and your government name are in the title of the show? That's nuts. And it's and it's you. Like, I mean, it makes it all makes sense because it's literally like ripped from her life. But the fact that Aquafina is Nora from Queens is the title of the show. Like she for some people, she just came out. She'd been out for a minute. But for some people, she wasn't a person until Crazy Rich Asians. So it's kind of it's kind of it's a really quick jump to that level. And it's st- and it still feels like foundational. Like she's she's got a ways to go. You yeah, know what for I'm sure. saying? But um you can't go wrong casting BD Wong well, bruh, as your fucking TV dad. Bruh, I was when I remember when word of the series came out and I'm like, this makes sense. People loved Crazy Rich Asians. Of course Comedy Central's gonna try and get a show with her. It, it I'm surprised that she did it because she's been doing so much in movies, but uh Having that as a base is fire. You know, it it makes sense. When I saw, when I click on the episode and I'm like, what the fuck is B.D. Wong doing? And mind you, we just saw my mans two months ago. Crazy suits, crazy dresses when, when, when he was portraying, you know, what White Rose was doing. Like, it was such a 180 to see him straight slumming in slacks and fucking, you know, random caps chilling on a, on, on a recliner. That's the true mark of a capital C character actor. Facts. A, a thespian, if you will. And that is why we are excited to have Mr. BD on the show today. BD, uh, was, was the first time you saw BD Wong in Jurassic Park? Or had you seen him in something before? Because he's been cooking for decades. I mean, yeah, it would have to be. I mean, Jurassic Park was 93. That was probably one of the first yeah, you, you things I saw to begin with. A, a toddler <laughs> running around the house like, oh, oh my, my, no. And he was just like the random Asian dude that was, uh, uh, he, he, you wouldn't think he would be as an important character in the Jurassic series that he is now. Yeah, that's kind of really then. full circle. It's, uh, it's kind of If you fuck with the Jurassic World movies, he's kind of like the villain in that. The non-T-Rex villain. Yeah, he he came back strong with Um, with that DNA. But I mean, the obvious reason why we are excited to have BD on here, I mean, shouts out to Aquafina, but we are huge Mr. Robot fans. 100%. I feel like a lot of our peers in the industry kind of slept on the final season of the show. Yes. We've mentioned it before, but I think after season two kind of left a a taste in people's mouths. Right. And uh, they didn't jump in for season three like we thought they would. But uh, the series finale was great. The final season was great. Mm-hmm. B.D. Wong is fantastic in it. 100%. It's going to go down in history no matter what. So we're definitely excited to have him here. Obviously talking about Aquafina, but doing some heavy robot geeking. Yeah. We, we, we got into a lot. We I, And I was glad that, to hear that while he's an actor on the show, he's that invested in just the story as well. How could you not be? We get into some Jurassic World teasing. Yeah. And, of course, the larger conversation about representation in Hollywood, because, I mean, if you want to talk about one of the leaders, he's been doing it. He's, like I said, decades as a thespian, capital T. 
everything else was lowercase. Um, but yeah, without further ado, get into our conversation with BD Wong. This is this is an episode I know I've been waiting for, only because as as you know, Fraser and I have have known each other over the years. I think one of the first videos we did together was uh, trying to dissect some of the Mr. Robot stuff. Yeah, Easter going eggs on. and conspiracy theories. It, wow. it was it was literally when we found out about you know uh, White Rose's machine and what she was trying to do. Okay. But um, <laughs> you know, when, when we got word that uh, you know this week's guest was going to be featured uh, starring in Aquafina is Nora from Queens on Comedy Central. Um, we had to get him on. He plays her father Wally on the show. B.D. Wong, thank hey. you for coming through. Thanks, sure. I'm happy to be here. The legend. <laughs> Greatly appreciate you coming through. Um, gosh, how do you start with B.D. Wong? How do you start oh. a conversation? There's a lot to start with, but I guess we have to start with uh, where you're here for, what your latest project is, yes. which yeah. is Aquafina's show. Yeah. Everyone calls her Nora, I'm guessing. No one well, not everyone, and it's kind of funny. As somebody who has kind of different names that people, different people call you, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting to kind of like try to figure out what's the best for each appropriate situation. Uh, so she is Aquafina because Aquafina is a thing, you right. know, is a, is, a, is, a, is a state of mind or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then She's Nora because you know there's a human being underneath, like a, that. You know that in, in more intimate situations or descriptions can mm. be apl- applicable. Whatever. Um, <laughs> and and the show is uh, a comedy based upon her life uh, growing up in Queens. She grew up with her dad and her grandma, and I play her dad, and her grandma's played by Lori Chin, and uh, from Orange Is the New Black. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a it's a really nice combination of um, comedy, broad comedy. Uh, uh, you know, kind of Broad City stuff. You know that show, mm-hmm. Broad City. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the same people worked on that. And and uh, kind of millennial young woman angst in New York City. <laughs> but then with a kind of a family angle and a kind of family warmth and family tension and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. And, and it's really nice and I've enjoyed doing it. So I'm, I've been trotting out uh, a lot of press for the show because I really believe in it and I really think it's really great and it's going to start uh, premiering on Wednesday, uh, January 22nd mm-hmm. and, and, and be on Wednesday nights, um, but a, but a great experience. 100%. Now you've spoken in past interviews about you know a lack of diversity in Hollywood and representation, yeah. and now we're here promoting this show. Yeah. Do you feel like it's uh, you know emblematic of some? Better strides that we're making. Yeah, and I and I think that Aquafina. This is where the word Aquafina kind of applies <laughs> yes. because the the whole brand of Aquafina, uh, I, I I have learned is 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 that you know at the center of this this person is a kind of vision and a a, a, a real desire to do right and to take every opportunity and makes the most out of it and try to move the needle wherever she can. And in just the hiring of the show, the creation of the writing staff, which is primarily female mm-hmm. or uh, and. Women Women of color oh, wow. specifically, and the directors in the show, because a, a show is is built by its directors, and the, the default is totally uh, Caucasian men directing everything, mm-hmm. and and so for someone to actually force the issue or to 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 make the change really concretely and very commit to it really strongly, it takes a a, a real backbone and a sense of vision that I think. I have a tremendous amount of respect for because I've been on a few different TV shows and I've always wondered, oh, how, what would it take to really to change this kind of equation? And mm-hmm. you realize, oh, it takes one person at the very top who understands what their power and what their um, influence is to to really drive a concept like this forward. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to, someone that knows that people trust her and that so she can assemble a team that, that really works and that will um, succeed. And, and that's 
super exciting to me. And it, it is a, a, a kind of a paradigm shift in a, in a way of thinking about how we can um, further ourselves in this business as people of color and w w how that can happen and in some ways how simple it is, mm -hmm. actually. Well, t talk about, I mean, before the show premieres, she she made headlines winning a Golden Globe for The Farewell. Yeah. Can you talk about, you know, how great that was seeing that? You know, were, were you texting her as, as you saw it during the award show? I texted her right, uh, right after. Proud show dad? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing is that when you play someone's dad, you do kind of adopt a certain relationship to them that you can't help, even though you're not their dad. You, you feel protective of them. You, you feel very affectionate of them. I mean, unless you're really not getting along with the other actor or something like that, which is not the case here, then uh, then you you kind of are bonded to them in the summer. So I have always felt kind of, um, I mean, in all of her in one way, but in another way, I'm kind of like, oh, wow, you know, she's this young woman that that in the context of the make believe of the show, I'm um, I'm I'm very uh, invested in and invested in her success in the show. That's kind of how it plays out in the in the season of the show, you know, that I'm really there trying to there do the be the best parent that I can. And and so when she goes on the golden clothes <laughs> and she says, Dad, I got a job. I think she's talking to me. <laughs> and I and I and I and I'm kind of like. Oh come on, you know, get get a hold of yourself. That's not you. She's talking about. Don't be an idiot. And 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 but that's that speaks to this kind of magical kind of in between world where you actors can kind of really escape into their roles and stuff like that. Um, but I, I I do feel you know really proud of her and 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 very happy for her success and and I and just anticipating that she might be. Um, I don't know, second guessing it or something. I just texted something like, you know, this is this is the right thing. Just yeah. go with it. It's the right thing. One hundred percent. Now you you mentioned you know playing her dad on TV and the show is you know it's inspired by her life growing right. up in Queens. Um, can, were there any conversations that she had with you about you know my dad would act this way? Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, in a very um, very like fleeting kind of way, okay? Because I didn't sit down and say, okay, how does he talk? Give me some, um, a lot of, you know, videotapes or, 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 or uh, audio tapes and let me meet him and let me sit down for hours with him and kind of pick his brain about it. Um, it what didn't seem like that kind of show where research was that, that, um, Intrinsic to the to the important to the to the process, and yet when I met her, she was like, you know, well, he's a kind of specific kind of guy, and she described him very briefly. Mm -hmm. She showed me this video of him driving and and her just talking to him that she like used as a gif or something like that, mm -hmm. and and in all he was saying is like, you know, the seventies. I was the seventies. is basically <laughs> what he said, and and it kind of told you everything you needed to know in a very kind of compact way, um, not in a way when if if you were playing a famous person from history that everyone was like looking towards you and going well is he going to get it right or whatever you know the pressure of that is is a great kind of pressure but this is there's a little leeway mm -hmm. right um, not everybody knows him she doesn't care as much for that you're like nailing it now as a result I've kind of kind of boiled it all down all the information I got to this kind of essence that she seems to be really happy with so <laughs> I, I'm really happy if she's happy and that's how I always judge everything is whether the most important person in the room not me but the person who's really that I identify as the most important person uh, really uh, endorses what I'm doing. Then I go, okay. Then I'm happy. I can stick with that and follow that where it takes me. She thinks it's kind of like freaky that I figured it out. In the way that I, did. <laughs> I don't know.
What was it about this role specifically specifically that drew you to it? Well, the first thing was really working with her. I really did. I was really interested in her. To me, she's like a kind of a phenomenon. She was kind of revealing herself to be someone who... Um, you know, it was a person to watch mm-hmm. and like a kind of a curiosity that people have about her. Like, what's she going to do next? What What is her her next move going to be? And when I found out that she had a show and that she was asking me to be on it, I was I said yes before they even finished the question. I mean, mm-hmm. I really is into it. And and um, well, what else was I going to say about that? I don't remember. But 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 it, it was great. It was it was a, a, a what was it? remind me what you how you actually phrased it. What did you say? Uh, what drew you to the role? Oh yeah, and the other thing that drew me to the role was that stylistically, it was very different from the stuff that I had been doing at the time when they asked me to do it. I was going to say I was doing Mr. Robot at the time. It seems like the total like one eighty, you know, 180. Yeah. and uh, you know, I'm a I have a recently kind of re um, re embraced my identity or my self identity as a character actor, mm-hmm. and I've always I'm so a character actor um, like me is always looking to kind of turn. In a different direction, it's not interesting to keep doing the same thing, even twice in a row. Mm-hmm. And I went through a whole period of time where I was playing a lot of doctors and kind yes. of like you know, and that was really boring to me. So this was like, oh, this is a complete 180. And there were lots of elements of things in the show and things that revealed themselves in the show that I'd never experienced before. You know, I never really had a strong. I, I'm. I've graduated now to the place where I'm playing parents, Mm -hmm. and I'm a parent myself, and that is a rich, uh, potentially rich kind of relationship, and I really like that. And then there's um, the idea that I was... And this is the first project I've ever really done in which I'm I'm dating someone. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's a whole long conversation to have about Asian men and what people think of them in the media mm-hmm. and how that we get cast and actors like me who are not like huge kind of leading men types or or whatever are often kind of looked over or not really taken seriously as as romantic partners. And there's a a, a romance angle to this first season of the show, which I found. It's very ordinary to other people, but to me, it was like really great—a really great relationship with another actor, Jennifer Esposito, who I loved, and who was fantastic and really well chosen for me. I felt and really felt lucky that they got her. Um, and having the fun of having chemistry with someone, yes, which I've never experienced. I never had eleven years of SVU, no chemistry. <laughs> Crazy. That doesn't mean I didn't have chemistry with actors. I didn't have a relationship which required chemistry. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And those times when I have been asked to have chemistry. Uh, have been rare, and I'm talking about kind of, um, you know, animal chemistry or or, or anything. I'm mean, gonna have chemistry with Rami Malek and, and chemistry mm-hmm. with other actors, of course. But this is um, a specific kind that I didn't realize I was craving so badly, mm-hmm. or that it was missing so much until I started doing it. I'm going, wow, why is this so refreshing to me? Oh, it's because you've never done it. I mean, <laughs> you've never had the opportunity to do it. And when you think about that, I mean, I I tweeted or 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 Instagrammed at one point. You know, this is the first time I've ever dated someone and first time I've ever um, I haven't actually kissed her yet but mm. it's gonna happen it's bound to happen in season two and yeah. we are picked up for season two we saw that congrats yeah, on that thank yeah. you and, and, and so uh, that you know I don't know it's just something that I have uh, kind of it has kind of been um, it, it kind of tickled me I was like oh this is really cool I really like this mm. I like I like you know here 
uh, maybe this will re you, you guys can relate to this whole idea of being outsiders and what does it mean to be kind of brought into something when you've been kept out of it and and I feel oh wow this is this feels good this yeah. is this feels like the way it's supposed to feel or the thing that you're always kind of clawing to try to get that feeling of hey it's okay you are you are part of something definitely yeah it's it's, it's kind of sad but I mean it's awesome yeah. that you're able to right. experience that yeah. but it's dope that it seems like Aquafina is just one part of like a larger surge in representations happening now with like John Chu and Crazy Rich Asians and Lulu Wang and all this. Yeah, people. I think she's symbolic of it. She's kind of in a, a leading player within this whatever might you might call a movement. Mm -hmm. She she's like I think forward thinking and people push her forward. She's fashion forward. Mm -hmm. You know that always actually is a real. Um, uh, um, an indication of someone's cultural value, their their fashion sense, or their sense of being pushed forward as a fashion icon, or allowed to be a fashion icon, yes. or groomed to be one. And you go, oh yes, she's a trendsetter, or she's a person that, to watch, and not everybody gets gets to be chosen that way. She doesn't even he or she herself has not been that aggressive in being that person. It just happened naturally, mm -hmm. like Lupita. This is what happened to Lupita, and I and I think that is. Wonderful. I, I actually value it very highly yes. with someone's cultural cred. Right. Um, I'm not a, I'm not that into fashion or, or or follow it that much. But I do see that when people's eyes and focus go to a certain kind of person from a, a fashion perspective, it's an in indicative of what their impact can be in a larger way. Yes. that I think is really cool. Well, the listeners can't see, but you got a pretty sharp suit on. Yeah, oh, nice. very, nice. Yes, very, okay. uh, very. I don't mean to devalue my own, <laughs> my own sense of fashion, but I, but I, but I do separate myself from someone like these two ladies who are like, wow, wow, that's a, that's a, it's impactful. You can feel the impact. Yes, the, the wow factor of it, mm -hmm. and and it's it's fascinating because it somehow works in tandem with their talent, which for both of them is enormous. That they're they're really legitimately bringing something to the table mm -hmm. uh, culturally. Yeah. They're not just um, dolls or toys or, or whatever. They're, they're somehow kind of able to um, uh, work. They, they, these two things kind of fuse together. They're, they're not really separate from one another. And they are um, of, I don't know, there's a, there's a, a, a what's the word, um, a, a legitimacy to them mm -hmm. that I really like. Definitely. There's also, uh, I laughed at the Marie Kondo hoarders joke in the pilot, <laughs> because I remember in a, a, a Times profile that you did taking them into your renovated home. Oh, gosh. Because you, I you said outed I was a yourself as a hoarder. <laughs> yes. Okay, great. Okay, very good research. Okay. Uh, yes. I, I And I'm, I'm always, and it was called B.D. Wong Tames' his inner hoarder or something like that. You can look it up. Uh, but it, yes, I, I've always felt that way. I mean, you know, I'm not sure if it's an Asian thing or an, uh, people that are descendants of certain Asian immigrants or something like that or mm. whatever. To, to, I'm not sure if it's even valuable to categorize it, but I come from a, a line of people who love to save. My dad like would put rubber bands on the doorknob <laughs> and, and just save them until yeah. the whole the whole doorknob was com completely like, like surrounded by this gigantic wad of, of, of rubber bands. And yeah. I remember I got into my first relationship and I put a couple of rubber bands on the door on the doorknob, and and he said, "What are you doing?" Is <laughs> like, oh, isn't that what people do? Don't yeah. they put the, the rubber bands on the doorknob? <laughs> no. What do you put the, throw that away? <laughs> and then uh, then you start to think, why am I doing that? I'm doing it because my dad did it, really, not because I need. Well, there's a there's a sense. My dad was a depression baby, mm -hmm. and there was a sense that oh shit, you never know when you're going to need it. Yeah, a rubber yeah. Band. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And, and this might be your last free rubber band that you ever get before the world comes crumbling to an arm again. And, and you, you, know, you have to kind of take that into consideration, the future. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and we all came here for, for our kids to have a better life. And so here are rubber bands for you that I saved. <laughs> you know, whatever. Jeez, you know, I, I do that with plastic bags for some reason. On, on the doorknob. My dad would be, we'd be out uh, eating dinner. And, you know, like at the end of the dinner, you're kind of packing up the leftovers. Very Chinese-American thing. <laughs> and then, you know, it was like, oh, my dad would like, oh, I have a bag. And he would open his wallet and he had a, a, a pink shopping bag wadded up, you know, folded in perfectly neat accordion pleats. He'd go and it would open <laughs> oh up to God. this giant bag from his wallet. And he'd say, I have a bag. And, and he was one of those people that actually you, you, you took comfort in knowing that he actually does use these things. Yeah. That <laughs> At has. some point. He, he would use the rubber bands. He would make something out of them or use them for to make something. My dad was always making like contractions. To, to help you, you know, like he was the original kind of um, hack, uh, uh, life hack kind of guy. <laughs> like I made this thing to, um, like he made a thing to keep the door open, you know, like the door, the wind would blow the door closed. And he made it with rubber bands and he, he hooked onto the other doorknob or this other thing. And, and so he, you know, he did that. And, he, and, and so that did plant a seed, which is somewhat needs to be kind of like tamed mm-hmm. in my mind that you save everything, you know, 100%. like that I have to kind of figure out how to, to moderate that. Definitely. Now, BD, we are huge Mr. Robot fans oh, here. Great. I think we put, um, you get we a put lot of season four as yeah. like the third best show of the year. Yes. Yeah. It was number okay. three. And there's, it, a, there's it, an argument the to take higher. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, highly, highly contested here. There, it was, it was that it was Watchmen. It was succession. Yeah, it was, we, it. The, yeah. we, we had, Crazy, yeah. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. <laughs> what a finale! I thought it was an incredible finale, and mm-hmm. I and I actually think it was an incredible season uh, 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 season finale. The whole season four, right. to me, the way it played out, every single episode. And you know what I do when I worked on this show is I did my part, but I didn't pay attention to the rest of the story. Wow. So I would watch the show in many cases as a fan oh, nice. because I loved it. And I would do also what real fans of Mr. Robot do and rewatch the show. Okay. Because on a second viewing, there's just richness that comes out of it and, and, and aha moments and all that stuff. So I had all of those just like everybody else. So I rewatched, I actually had a viewing party for the season finale. Mm-hmm. And then it was so crowded and kind of buzzing with energy. You know, I, Gloria Rubin came and, and mm-hmm. Elliot Villar came and Ashley Atkinson came and Grant Chan, like a whole bunch of Mr. Robot actors came. Mm-hmm. And we were so kind of overwhelmed that. It was really hard to digest the the complexities of the final uh, two shows. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't until I really went back and watched them in a quiet room when nobody else was around. And I I went, I was rather blown away by where, how it all kind of came around. Yeah. And I just loved it. I was very proud of doing it. I always will be. It was one of the more rewarding um, acting tasks and um, collaboration with, you know, costume designers and makeup designers and, and makeup artists and hair designers. All of that coming together in a way that I find really stimulating. I really like to work with all the other 
people uh, who helped you to create a character, um, like the makeup artists and the uh, special effects makeup artists on Gotham. You know, I really enjoyed all the different um, ways that you can make a person. You know, as a character actor, you end up kind of wanting to transform as much as you can. And so I love that part of it. And then Sam Esmail, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I just was in constant kind of awe and kind of... Uh, just so thrilled to be able to work with someone after years of, you know, in my training, always being, trying to learn how to identify what good writing really was, mm-hmm. and, and and in a way to kind of try to figure out how can um, I identify it so that I can make the most of, of breathing life into it. And this was a huge opportunity for me, probably in complete different, you know, proportion to any other experience I've ever had as far as the quality of the writing and the vision of the person who mm. created the show and the, the fact that he also directed the show. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. I loved it. I loved the finale and I loved the way that he um, uh, pressed the this character who started out being kind of rather mysterious and fleeting, you mm. know, just kind of giving them a little bit of her here and a little bit of her there. And then she her role grew, yes. you know, in in a way that was super satisfying to the actor, but also I think the fans really kind of kind of snowballed to this point where you, ironically, if you were a certain kind of fan, you could understand her better than you expected to, or you learned things about her that you didn't expect to learn, or you 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 didn't just vilify her just flat out yeah. as a yeah. as a bad person, mm-hmm. which is the sign of something a little bit more interesting to me than uh, just a, a, pl- a flat out antagonist who ha- you know is only there to act as a a, a co- contrast or or create tension f- for the for the uh, main character. So I I loved I can't say enough about it I really I loved every ex- part of the experience and it was really challenging to do mm-hmm. it was shot have you ever talked to anybody that worked on the show you know it was shot all completely out of sequence so oh, wow. all uh, ten uh, I guess it was eleven episodes are shot like a. 11-hour movie, mm, and so wow. on one given day, you're doing scenes from this episode and scenes from this episode. Usually, you shoot, you know, maybe a, a 8 to 10-day schedule, you'll shoot one episode. Okay, we're doing episode 1, and then we're going to do episode 2, and then we're going to do episode 3, and we're going to work our way through the season. Mm. And in each one, you're kind of... Um, uh, you know, you you kind of understanding the trajectory of the of the show, but but Mr. Robot, you shot okay. It's like okay, today we're in Elliot's apartment, which we're in uh, throughout, mm-hmm. and we're doing all of those scenes in Elliot's apartment, oh, where wow. they're doing that, and then the actors and the designers and the prop people and all of the 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 the, the wonderful people that collaborate on any given aspect have to keep track of where we are and what's happening and whether your hair was like this or when you mm-hmm. get a bruise on your face, okay, what what stage of healing was it at oh, on wow. this scene? You know, that kind of thing, because there's a lot of that. In yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and also, um, yeah, so so there was this kind of, incre- and and so there's a there's a lot of opportunities for, you know, Starbucks cups to be left out and, <laughs> and, and create a, a, a thing, which never happened with no. great continuity on the show. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it was... Um, uh, it was a very interesting way. It was a very, very interesting way to work, and very challenging, and very hard to keep track of. And there's also a, a real high level of anti-spoiler sentiment on the show. Oh, yes. I didn't yes. want anybody to know anything. 
the actors themselves don't know sometimes what's happening. And I, I went through a lot of the first couple of seasons going, I just got Sam, you just, I know he, he won't tell me what is actually I was the, gonna the, ask. the yeah. end of what I'm doing. And I had a lot of trouble as an actor in some scenes. You know, he'll say, you're going to, you're going to take Angela and you're going to show her this thing and then she's going to completely follow you and you're going to um, change her life. And, 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 and what is it I'm showing her? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's nothing more than that. So then I have the scene with Angela where, uh, like, Sam will say, well, like, could you be, like, a little more emotional about your this moment? Why am I being emotional? <laughs> no, shrugging shoulders, kind of like yeah. um, mysterious silence, and and that was challenging for me because I go from a kind of normally from a place of oh god, give me as much information as you can, and I will like soak it up or I'll install it into my hard drive and and kind of like see what comes out, mm -hmm. and then you have as many tools as you can to work emotionally or to work um, uh, in a way that feels uh, authentic or real to create moments that feel really real. So. By the end of season four, mm -hmm. when I have like what I would call my big scene with Rami at the end yeah. of season four, and the plan, I, I, and and the interesting thing about that, you guys are nerding about the show, right? So I can just Always. talk. About oh yeah, it. go ahead. Um, well, you know, we sh we read the show in two days in a marathon reading of all the scripts. Okay, two days first one through six, and then six seven through thirteen or twelve, and we read all the scenes. And I, this was in January, which we shot, we shot that scene in like July. And I never had a situation where I got the script to something and had it for five or six months, oh, wow. except when I'm doing a play. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, well, did this interesting if I could apply some of the principles that make me so comfortable when I'm in rehearsal for a play, which is repetition every day, doing something every day for four weeks. By the time the show opens and the person, the audience is coming in and paying, you've done it so many times. Mm -hmm. You are really, it's in your blood, it's in your body, there's muscle memory. And TV, it's never like that. You, <laughs> yeah. you come in on the day and you, you, you've you met, you're meeting the actor, then you, and then all of a sudden you're, you're getting into a big fight with them or, or making love to them or something, and you just met them and you don't even know them as an actor, let alone as a character or that someone that you're supposed to love. All of those things go out the window. So there's a shorthand to TV and it goes really quickly. And um, fil film is a little bit more, uh, bigger films can be done much more more uh, in a leisurely way, yeah. but television is super fast. And I applied these principles. I learned that big, these big monologues and stuff, and I just did them every day in my own privacy of my own um, house. And and I felt when I finally got there, oh wow, I really know what this feels like now. I'm not reaching for it in any way. I I haven't, and that f makes me really fond of the, that episode and really happy with it. Uh, because I was able to do something uh, process-wise that I'd never uh, done before. I don't think I'll ever be able to do it again on a television show quite like that. Mm -hmm. Unless I wrote the TV show myself or unless there was some kind of mechanism for there to be a delay in the yeah. shooting of it. I mean, or something. But is it a situation where if Sam calls you today, says I've got a part for you, in my Homecoming season three? Are, yeah. you, are you you jumping on that? I, absolutely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Because I have real, I, I developed great trust that Sam got me mm. as a performer and understood what my wheelhouse might be or what um, what what my value to that particular show was, and the way that he wrote that character as it evolved 
made me feel that way. Mm. And so I, and I, like I said, I really trust him. I would, when he said, you know, um, don't do that, whatever it was, you know, um, don't, uh, I want you to take it very easy on this scene and like, don't over remote or don't, whatever he said, I just did it in a way that as a rather controlling person or a person with a controlling creative past, I have always questioned or double you know, second guest uh, directors and thought, well, they don't know what they're talking about. And mm-hmm. I had an acting teacher who would say, hey, uh, uh, listen to the director and then do whatever you want. Like, don't listen to the director, really. And and I always wanted to try to kind of collaborate with the directors. Well, this was the first director I've worked with um, that made me feel like I could actually do whatever he says. And I, I, I think it's all going to turn out okay. Mm-hmm. And he got some great performances from some from some of the cast of this show oh, because yeah, of that, you know. So that was that was great. A really good experience. No bad. Really great show too. Now we can't let you get out of here without talking about Jurassic World three. <laughs> okay, yeah, great. Um this is gonna be the first time you're reunited with everyone from the first movie. Yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> How excited are you? I'm I'm excited. You know, I was like just starting out my work as an actor in movies and all of that stuff when I did that movie I'm like a baby in it kind of looking <laughs> like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of like a, a kind of like a um, um, what's the word like grumpy old man now and, <laughs> and, and, and I I have really fond memories of that you know Spielberg asked me to do that movie and I auditioned you know kind of um, with with little scenes from uh, the book, mm-hmm. and then I was very disappointed when the the character in the book got whittled down to almost nothing. What mm-hmm. felt like a kind of um, uh, day player in a movie, and when in, in the part was really rich in the book. Oh, wow. And and then I I I kind of felt at the time um, that there were possibly race-related reasons why they devalued that character because they were always looking for actors who could bring them value. Mm -hmm. And that at the time in my community, there weren't a lot of famous Asian actors who would bring that value like there are now. And and so I thought, oh, they don't care about this guy. And so he just kind of fell by the wayside. They didn't even explain what happened to him. And then I had a friend named Nathan who said, well, that's going to come back to you. You're going to see that's going to come back. He was a big fan of the franchise. And I said, that is not going to come back. They don't care about that person. And then Lo and behold, uh, Colin Trevorrow came along and was going to breathe new life into the Jurassic Park sequel. In other words, the other two movies that are made with a Jurassic name on them are not really sequels to Jurassic Park. Right. They're just uh, dinosaur movies with yeah. a Jurassic kind of uh, vibe to them. And so he was going to make a sequel to the Jurassic Park movies. And, of course, he combed through that movie looking for people who weren't dead. <laughs> <laughs> You know, who's left? Who's left? Was anybody left there? No, I've got, and then there was this one person who was like a big loose end. Mm. Originally, I think, an accidental loose end. Mm. And then as Nathan, my friend, said, you know, it just, that you're the only person that they can go to to kind of, you know, reinvigorate a thing. Now, th- there were other reasons why Laura Dern's character and Sam Neill's character and Je- Jeff Goldblum's character, some of who had come back in in some of the other movies were not asked to be in there because those those characters were not organic to coming back. Right. You know, this person, Dr. Wu, was kind of someone who he would make sense, was there uh, pushing the technology forward, whatever he was doing, and his transition to someone who um, was having to play the game with the funders and all that stuff to try to figure out how to keep the technology going was more interesting. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, the part became more close to the part that I had 
was so sorry that they had kind of stripped down. And so it's all come, like Nathan said, it kind of came back to me. It fell in my lap in a very random way. And now we're on the third version, the third movie of the Jurassic World uh, leg of this journey. And um, I, I think Colin's going to really give him, now I can't tell you what this means, but I think it's going to give him a really nice um, send-off. Interesting. No, but I, 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 I don't even personally at this moment know what that means. Okay. I mean, I don't know if it means a death. I don't know if it means a triumph overcoming death. I don't mean if it's a comeuppance or if it, or if it's actual kind of being right about things. Mm-hmm. But Colin seems to be rather fond of this character and seems to be very proud of um, where he has put him for mm-hmm. the posterity. That's awesome. And um, so we'll see what happens. Sure, it's going to be To be, be shot in this, this spring and then to be out in 2021. And this guy can't wait. He's a huge... You're into that. Jurassic Who doesn't love guy. dinosaurs? Yeah. <laughs> Come, he's alive. And the technology growing and the, you know, the, the CGI or whatever you call it, the special effects, you know, it's a unique brand because they combine the special effects that, with the puppetry and the, and the animatronic... Um, uh, Work and it's 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 cool. There's not a lot of other brands like it. Mm, definitely, um, I guess. Finally, finally, fi- I wish we could have you here. <laughs> on the, if, uh, we could just we could do two episodes about robot if if we really wanted to. I will try to keep working so that you guys can't <laughs> you can't help but have me. That would be good. 2021, you said Jurassic World. 3? Yeah, 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 yeah. Come back for that. We, we, we'll need you yeah. for that. Um, you know, knock on wood. Yeah. Um, fi- you you talk about you know being a baby in Jurassic World. That was one, some of your first film stuff, and now you know 2020, you've done so much. White Rose, you know, yeah. you've been on Oz. We can't, we they won't oh, let me talk about Oz, they but that won't? was they 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 say I'm too old. The, the kids don't understand. The kids don't know Oz <laughs> oh, like right, they right, know right, some right, of these right, other shows. We're dealing with with people who we're dealing with the the, the 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 what's of the moment now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Gen what, Z. Well, I mean, as a throwback, people should like look check out Oz. I, I, I tell mean, them they all they the time. Yeah, I tell them all the time. An actual classic. An actual classic. Yeah. But I mean, throughout your journey, what would you say? Or some of the hot, like the highest moment in your in your career as an actor, or some of the most important lessons that you've learned wow. as an actor. Well, you know, I, I have the, the, the question whenever and this has been asked before, but mm-hmm. I always have a different mood about the answer to it. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the question, it, it, the, the answer depends upon what aspect of happiness or satisfaction mm. you're kind of asking me about. Because, like, from a career standpoint, I my Broadway, my first Broadway show, which was this play called M. Butterfly that I was in with the great John Lithgow, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, a, another great, I mean, a great character actor yes. that I always aspire to be as good as. 100%. Um, it, it was... Um, a career highlight for me. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, it was a very difficult show to be in. I had um, a very difficult relationship with the director who made it. So I wasn't like some great like walk in the park that I I just loved when I could have that experience again. But from a career standpoint and from a mentorial uh, relationship standpoint with John Lithgow, who mm-hmm. really taught me how to be um, the leader of a company and to, you know, everyone's looking to you, so you have to behave a certain way. That that kind of old school kind of way of behaving when you are the leading actor in a show or when you are the um, the number one on the call sheet or something like that. Mm-hmm. That those that lesson of just how to behave by example was 
a really strong one for me. And I, I still draw from it, and I'm still thankful to him for it, because he, he's a real gentleman mm -hmm. and somebody who goes the extra mile and actually puts a little bit more into uh, any uh, creative process or um, uh, uh, social process surrounding a creative process than most, most people do. Mm -hmm. um, but then, um, uh, so that was a great, and I, there, were, there, was a, uh, there was a lot of success that came from that show, and it was a big moment for Asian Americans in, in, in the theater at that moment. The, the playwright David Henry Huang was, was you know, celebrated, and, and, and I got to uh, enjoy some of that success, too. Um, but like Mr. Robot, I would say, mm -hmm. you know, 30 years later, really, has been success, successful, to, uh, uh, satisfying to me, and successful to me, because I felt like I was really myself as an artist, as an actor, doing the doing my thing. Mm -hmm. I was more invested, as I said, in collaborating with creating the character, mm -hmm. and that w is meaningful to me. I worked with what I considered to be like a world-class kind of auteur who I, like I said, like I said before, I threw myself into his hands mm -hmm. and, and enjoyed that, um, that open trust. And, and I felt that the show turned out great. And I feel like, I, I think of all the shows, I mean, people are already talking about at some point, putting it on a list of shows that exemplify the time that it came out. 100%. And, yeah. and it really does feel like that will stick. Yes. And, yes. and, and so then I'm really proud of it because of that. I was in uh, Margaret Cho's show in the mid-90s, early 90s, called All-American Girl. That was the first Asian-American uh, family on television, mm -hmm. if you can believe it. Oh, wow. And, and so there's, a, there's echoes from that show to the show that I'm in now, Aquafina is Nora from Queens, because we are an Asian-American family in a very different um, configuration. That is really sitting on the shoulders of, Mar of Margaret's original um, effort there that that wasn't as um, wasn't allowed to be as successful then. Mm -hmm. And now Aquafina is able to kind of push her vision through because the the climate is more conducive for her to do that. There, you know, it's it's allow it's more accepted that she will call the shots and she will make all of the choices in a way that Margaret was not allowed to be. You mm -hmm. know, they, they just kind of shoehorned Margaret into a um, corporate kind of almost kind of Disneyfied kind of mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, configuration, which didn't suit her mm -hmm. as an edgier, yeah. more. Um, yeah more forward thinking kind of kind of performer and so th th this is a really nice comparison of the of of two very very different experiences and i have to say that coming full circle to being the the dad now of the family it's it's satisfying to see that uh, there's a whole generational vibe to Nora from Queens mm -hmm. because Nora lives with her dad and her grandma so this idea of generations passing the torch on to other generations kind of translates to the uh, our roles as as actors and as as personalities in the show i'm very protective like i said before protective mm -hmm. of Nora i'm i'm very much a fan of hers and i'm i'm we're all rooting for the same goal, which is that Asian Americans get more representation and uh, our people are allowed to tell more stories and, and more varied stories. And this show does that in a way that other shows in the past have not been able to do. So th th those are the kind of benchmarks for me mm -hmm. of success and, and satisfaction that um, I would say lead us to today, yes. where I feel really great about this show. I really, I think it's, 
actually a comedy show on Comedy Central. There's a kind of potty mouth kind of creature in the center <laughs> of it who is kind of America's sweetheart in some ways, but she's simultaneously very wholesome and simultaneously foul at the same time, mm-hmm. right? And and it's wonderful. And so there's the show. And so the show doesn't seem like it's um, important. Maybe at first glance, but it really has cultural significance, certainly from the Asian American standpoint, that is is really great. And people, I think, should be able to identify more if they can what makes a show, what gives it that extra kind of cultural resonance as opposed to just being entertaining to them and, and everything. It's like, oh, if they can see how Aquafina is working her way through the system mm-hmm. and how... Um, uh, and I think, you know, even at this early stage, the, the show's really successful. People have, are talking about it. Like you said, it already got season two. Yeah, so yeah, already got yeah. season two, which is pretty rare. That doesn't and, happen often. Yeah. No, yeah. So so because of that, I think people do notice it, and I and I'm always encouraging younger people, especially, to like notice what is that, and and notice that your um, involvement in the it's 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 kind of interactive. You know, you have to watch it, and you have to kind of. Talk about it and mm-hmm. share it and tell good or bad. You have to, you know, it creates a conversation. And I, I, I do encourage the younger people to do that because it it will come back to us in the future, you know, generationally, um, that uh, we will be able to make more and more progress if more and people understand. Because when I first started out, there was a lot of kind of a misunderstanding about what representation was and diversity. We didn't even use the words diversity. We didn't use the word inclusion. Mm -hmm. We didn't understand it. Now, younger people do understand that and call people out for it. Mm -hmm. Yes, People are being called out more for lots of other things like sexual harassment and, and, you know, um, being inclusive and understanding and being racially sensitive or uh, understanding gender differences and stuff like that. And, And so that calling out is actually a sign of progress, a sign of people being able to adjust things and change things and for people to pay attention to the things that need to be changed. Mm -hmm. And so I do see this show as a kind of symbolic, you know, of course, it's not curing cancer or anything like that, (laughs) but it is kind of a signpost, perhaps, that people like Aquafina can kind of um, make change and that change is possible through action and culture. And and I, I do like being a part of it because of that. Definitely. Well, BD, thank you very much for coming through. Greatly appreciate you coming through. Thanks, you guys. Like so, I said, yeah. you know, anytime. Nothing... I'm there, you guys. You I can like come it. next week just yeah, to talk like about more robots. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll talk, well, yeah, we could talk like for hours about the finale and what the hell was going on and Definitely. stuff like that. Definitely. Yeah. Take care. Take yes, care. thank you. Bye, everybody. Goddamn BD Wong, man. The man, the myth, the legend. An, an actual a presence in the room. A presence in the room. Thank you for coming through again. Aquafina is Nora from Queens, Wednesday nights, Comedy Central. Um, Already got that season two. That's crazy. And, and and this man gets to chill in his in his sweatpants. You know, uh, he mentioned that that doesn't happen often, which is very true, but it definitely doesn't happen for um, shows that aren't on streaming services often. Like, you see that yeah. mostly on streaming sometimes. Facts. I mean, it's, I, I think it, it's, it's a testament not only to the series, but I think to... Aquafina herself and her impact, at least the perception of what she can do and what she can mean for both this show and for what Comedy Central needs to do in the future. Facts. I mean, I just hope that as more people come to Mr. Robot and realize it's one of the greatest shows of the decade, yeah. uh, more people watch this Aquafina show. I hope we just see B.D. Wong and a million more things. Facts. I mean, he's again, he's been doing it for decades. He probably can do it for, you know, decades to come. Um, like I said, I don't like throwing this term out often, but 
goddamn thespian. Yeah. <laughs> goddamn thespian. He is a thespian. That is uh, this week's episode of Watch Less. Thank you. If you've made it this far, thank you. Appreciate you. Um, as always, you can find us Wherever on hell you Apple get Music. Podcasts. We're there. Um, if you want to talk about what's in this podcast, at Complex Pop on Twitter and Instagram. Jeez, you know, like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend. All of that. We need y'all. And for Watch Less, our producer is Taliba Newman. Our sound engineer is Craig Clayton. Mixing done by Jasmine Plata. Our editor-in-chief is Damian Scott. Our director of operations is Jen Stewart. Watch Less is a production of the Complex Podcast Network. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.